That's the title of this quick series I'm going to be doing over the course of the next month. And uh, I believe that God wants us to take it to another level. And you may say, well, man, Pastor Ronnie, nobody worships around here like Alba's house. Well, we're not comparing ourselves to other people. We're trying to get closer to God, to get into the Holy of Holies. And we're trying to reign there, amen, and take dominion. And we don't have fear any longer after what rabbi released here last wednesday the fear is gone so now we just need to enter in somebody say amen Amen. many years ago there was a newspaper account of a christening party that took place in a wealthy suburb of boston and the the parents these wealthy folks opened their home to friends relatives family all these kind of people to celebrate this wonderful event as the party progressed and the people were having a wonderful time eating drinking celebrating Someone said, by the way, where's the baby? The heart of the mother jumped and she instantly left the room and rushed into the master bedroom where she had left the baby asleep in the middle of the massive bed. The baby was found dead, smothered by the coats of all the guests. I believe sometimes in our churches, we get so caught up in the preparation and the celebration that Jesus gets smothered by our worldly garments and put to the side. We can spend so much time celebrating or, or preparing for God to move that we can miss the most important thing and person that stands in our midst. Many times we hear of you know, parents leaving their children in cars unattended and so busy adhering to their daily routine that they forget what is most important. And I think that's what A.W. Tozer meant when he said that worship is the missing jewel in the church. You know, I believe that God inhabits our praise. I believe that God smiles down, looks over the parapet of glory, and peeks in on us when we are truly worshiping. And that may happen in a corporate event. It may happen on your knees at your home. It may happen in your car. It may happen on break at work. It may happen on an athletic field. However you choose to worship him, as long as your heart is sincere, I believe that God looks down with joy on his children when we worship. So I want to deliver my first message in this series, and I've titled it Worship 101 because I'm going to lay some foundation tonight and hopefully preach a little bit if the Holy Spirit will speak through me. But I believe that worship is our natural response to a loving, graceful, holy, righteous, and just God. I believe many churches mistake talent for His presence. We want ritual, ceremony, style, and comfort when we attend church. And I don't care if it's evangelical comfort or charismatic comfort. To be comfortable is to be comfortable. You can get used to anything and you can get comfortable in any different, you know, liturgy or denomination. Comfort can set in and you can miss the comforter. Now, I believe that's what we want. We, We want our emotions stirred but our soul left alone. We want the comfort but not the comforter. Tradition has replaced truth. Satisfaction has replaced sanctification. Politics have replaced power. And Jesus faced the same types of things in in his day. We know the story of the woman at the well, and, and, and we've preached that every way we can preach it here. But it's interesting how Jesus addressed this same era that we face today with the Samaritan woman he met at the well. 
This sinful and shame woman was curious and somewhat knowledgeable about the places of worship. So she asked Jesus a pretty simple question. What's the most acceptable place to worship? Is it in the temple of Jerusalem or is it the Mount of Jerusalem uh, where the Samaritans worship? And Jesus, you know, he responds and says this in John 4 verse 21. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when we will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but we will worship the Father. He says, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now it is when the true worshipers. Now, if there's true worshipers, that means there has to be false worshipers. That means there is a remnant that is authentic, that is really pressing into the holies of holies of God, but then there is another remnant who are doing things in error and don't even know it, who are stuck in their own comfort zone. And so he continues. He says, listen, true worshipers will worship the Father in what? In both spirit and in truth. That's the goal of any kingdom church. It's to worship God in both the spirit and in the truth. It must be spirit and it must be truth. It must have both. You know, so Jesus gives this woman, this sinful woman, the doctrine of worship in just a few short words. He says, listen, it's not the location or the external forms of worship that really matter, but it's the attitude of your heart. It's the attitude of the worshiper's heart towards God. True worship occurs when the heart of an individual becomes consumed with love, gratitude, and intimacy towards God. Why, why do we worship those of us who are saved? And it's because we are overflowing with gratitude. Psalm 45 verse 1 says, My heart boils over, it overflows with a good thing. I love that. My heart is overflowing with a good thing. And in some translations it says boiling. You know, it means that God has cleansed you, saved you, sanctified you, filled you with the Spirit, rescued you, blessed you to the point where you are overflowing with love and gratitude towards a holy God. And I believe that this love is so hard to define. I mean, it is. It, it, to, this kind of love is not like our, our love. It, it, it's a whole different level. It's more intense than young love. And I mean, I know a thing or two about young love. I've been married to my wife since we were teenagers. I was 20. And the first time I saw her, she had a red dress on at Riverbend. I was about 15 or 16. Chris, I lost my mind. I wasn't speaking in tongues yet, but I was about to. Amen. And uh, I fell in love with her. And I, I didn't really know all that was going on because... I didn't really date her then because I, I had, you know, I thought she was mean and she thought I was arrogant, you know, and I couldn't never imagine somebody thinking I was arrogant, you know, but uh, I thought she was too mean. I had to give that some time. And, uh, but I tell you, we fell in love and I mean, you know, young love consumes and burns and you just cannot get enough of one another. I mean, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, every force that there was tried to keep Kelly and I apart and it didn't work. Because I loved her. She loved me. It didn't matter what happened, what consequence. We wanted to be together. Now, luckily, we, that God ordained that later and sprinkled his grace on it. And now he's using that in a powerful way. But this kind of love we have for God, true worship, is more intense than young love. 
It's more intense than young love. It's more faithful than that of a soldier who has committed himself to a tour overseas to fight for his country. It's more devoted than even that of our soldiers. It is more loyal than a loving mother is to their child. It's a different level of loyalty. It is more joyful than even giving birth. And, and, and women say that, that bringing a child into this earth is, is probably the most precious thing they've ever done. This is more joy than even that true worship is. It is both spirit and truth. Sadly, many never engage in authentic worship. And those that do only worship in truth but hinder the spirit. My Baptist friends, and, and, and I, I'm educated Baptist, I, I probably even preach Baptist, to be frank with you. I, I'm an expositor, I love the word, but my Baptist friends love the word, but they hinder the spirit. They've rejected the spirit, they've cursed the spirit, and they've paid for it. They've paid for it. So now they're doing everything they can to change philosophy and doctrine to keep the, their denomination alive. And they do great evangelism, great work. But for years they hindered and mocked and made fun of the Holy Spirit. You know, even though Jesus said, listen, it, it, it's this word, but it's, it's the Spirit. And then there's those in, in, in the charismatic circles and pick your denomination that it's all about the and it's all about the falling out, and it's all about the tongues, and it's all about the expression. But there's no substance. There's no consistency. There's no word to back up what they're doing. And then you get some nut job that kicks somebody in the face on stage and acts like it's the Holy Spirit. Because there is no word, no doctrine. You gotta have both, friend. If you're going to worship a holy God, you've got to have both. The first thing I learned long before seminary was that whatever you do, it better be found somewhere in here. And if it's not found somewhere in here, then you're in error and you must repent. Worship is a beautiful thing and it, inspire, it should inspire others to enter in to where you are. Your worship should inspire others to enter into the Holy of Holies, to enter in to where you are. What I've seen so many times, and, and Pastor Chris knows this story, and Lord help me, Holy Spirit, say it where it won't offend. But I can remember one Sunday morning, I was sitting out in the audience. A young man was sitting across from me, and Pastor Ron started to speak. And this young man started speaking in tongues so loud, I could not hear myself think. I kind of was hoping he would look at me so I could go. I don't have a problem speaking tongues. I speak in tongues. I have a prayer language. But it was completely out from under authority. And it was overshadowing what the Holy Spirit was speaking through our leader. Whenever your, your worship or your manifestation is in contradiction to the leader of the church or what the pastor is doing, you're in error. And you need to look within yourself and find out what the root is, what is, has gone wrong in your past that has caused you to have, a, have problems with authority, that, that, that causes you to manifest demonically so that people will notice you. Now, I wasn't 
as sanctified as I am now. So I told that young man, I grabbed him and was a little rough on him. Later we got it settled. Thank God he's no longer in this church. Hallelujah. <laughs> Sorry. I, hey, listen. Y'all going to get the unobliterated truth tonight. Um, but I'm going to tell you, you've got to discern within yourself why it is that you, you manifest in that way. And it may be that you may have something that's happened to you. Maybe a parent rejected you. Maybe a teacher rejected you. Maybe a coach rejected you. Maybe some church or some leader re- Uh, rejected you at some point or maybe you have an orphan spirit I've taught that here maybe there's a void missing in your life and now that you're saved you are legitimately saved but you still have that stronghold inside of you and that stronghold has now grown and taken a stronghold of you and so now you're saved and you're trying so desperately to worship God but you're doing it in error and you're doing it out of emotion and out of flesh and it's completely out of line with what God is trying to do. Whenever your worship hinders the gospel or hinders people coming to Jesus, you're in error. You're in error. Now, as Pastor Ron says, and if you look on my Facebook page, it, it asked me for my favorite quote. And for 15 years, I've had one quote and it's my father. And he said, I'd rather try to calm down something that's alive than try to resurrect the dead. So we want freedom in this house, amen? And we'll fix it and tweak it when we need to. But I want to release this to you tonight to say, listen, it better match up with God's word. It ought to inspire other people. If, if when you're worshiping God, if other people, now not lost extremely worldly people, but if other godly people are going... You know, when you give God praise and you worship God... You know, it ought to inspire others to want to go deeper in their faith. You know, it ought to inspire others to really want to press into all of who God is. You don't ever want to take away from God's word. I believe that people oftentimes lack a true understanding of what real worship is. It's not a specific place at a specific time, my dear Catholic and Presbyterian and Lutheran friends. It doesn't matter. It can break out anywhere if the heart and the attitude towards God is in right standing with who he is and what he's called you to do. God always blesses you so that you can be a blessing. So to verbally thank God and give thanksgiving while living a life of selfishness is a perversion. You know, if you've cheated on three business deals this week, or you owe everybody in the church money, don't get up and thank God for all the money he's blessed you with this week. We don't need that testimony. We need you to pay the people back that you owe before you start giving God praise for that. I know you don't like this, but it's the truth. Somebody say he grew up in church. I sure did, Michael. I grew up in church. So, you know, we, we see things from the inside out. So we, when you give a testimony to God, you won't want to do that if your life doesn't represent the testimony that's coming out of your mouth. King David, a man after God's own heart, said there in Psalm 45.1 that our, his heart overflows with a good thing. The disciples knew of this boiling point, this, this overflow. On the road to Emmaus, they said, were our hearts not burning within us? So I want to throw some Greek and Hebrew at you really quick, and then we're going to land the plane. 
because I want to lay the foundation. The word worship derives from an old English word called weirdche. And this word means worthiness. It also means to give to God the recognition that he deserves. There are some problems with that translation. Because it, it doesn't really capture the Greek and the Hebrew. The first Hebrew word used for presence is abode or abod. And the Greek word we've taught you many times is latreo, which is, we get our word latrine from it. It's that dirty word. So first, abode, you know, is his presence. We, we come to be in that kabod or that abode, you, his presence. So whenever you're worshiping, it's a matter of being in his presence or pressing in to his presence. But then it even goes beyond that. You know you can worship God through what you do. You don't get saved by what you do. But you can worship God by what you do. You can build something that honors God. You can you run a business uh, with integrity that's blessed that honors God. You can build a temple that honors God. You, you, you can start uh, a, a business that honors God. You can be a good mother and raise good kids and honor God. There's so many things you can do that worships and gives honor and praise to who God. So you've got his presence. Then you've got service. This has to do, the Old Testament and the New Testament there, the Old Testament has to do with the work that was done in the temple. And the New Testament refers back to temple work as well. So this it means the work associated with sacrifice. So we've got his presence, his service, but we've got his sacrifice. Listen, worship's got to cost you something. That's why we tell you that when we give, it, 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 it's, our, it's our, an, an act of worship. It's not a religious thing we do. Now, we're a little ceremonial about the way we do it sometimes. And we could probably loosen up on that. But what I'm telling you is that to give a tithe and sometimes to even sow a seed or to give above is an act of worship. You know what it says? My money doesn't own me. My stuff doesn't own me. It says I'm obedient to God's word. That I don't just worship him in spirit, but I worship him in truth because the truth of God's word tells me it's right to give a portion of my income. And so I'm going to worship him by abiding in his truth and by his truth. That's what God's word says. So it's presence, it's service, it's sacrifice. Christians should offer their what? Their own bodies. Chris loves that verse. He wrote that on our list of verses we put in the ground for our assisted living facility that we're in partnership with. He, that was one of his verses. All the staff wrote down verses. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Your spiritual service of worship. So it's sacrifice is a part of worship. Seed is a part of worship. Seed is a, Paul, is a part of worship. Paul uses the related Greek word liturgia. And this refers to monetary gifts that the Jerusalem Christians were given when they took an offering for them. It, it refers to what we do in the corporate sense of the word. It refers to uh, Epaphroditus taking the letter and, and the gifts in his place in front of him. It, it refers to really putting your money where your mouth is. And some people say, 
Well, Pastor Ronnie, can I give my time? Absolutely, that's, that's an act of worship. Can, can I give my gifts? Yeah, that's an, an act of worship. But you know, you have to give offering as an act of worship. You have to. Now listen, it also has to do with submission. It has to do with submission. You worship, and this is the spiritual act of worship. It's a submission to God. I submit to you, Lord. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, however stupid you want me to look, I submit to what your spirit is doing in my body and in my mind and in my soul and in my life. That's why sometimes it does get wild. It does get crazy. Because sometimes people, when they finally get a glimpse of their freedom, man, they're excited about it. They're thankful for it. There's some people say, I ought to be dead. I was at the funeral today, and I was there with uh, uh, one of my friends, Craig Mossgrove. He's a pastor. He was Jensen Franklin's youth pastor. He was friends with the guy that I did the funeral of. Matter of fact, everybody said, uh, everybody assumed Craig would do it. And people said, and, Craig, and they, when they found out it was me, Craig said, thank God I know the gospel will be preached. But I got to speak with Craig a little bit today about that. And, you know, people want to know that there is truth. They want to know that there is intimacy. They want to know that, that, that the authentic presence of the Lord will be there. And, and, you know, there are times where you've just got to worship God in, in whatever state you're in. And Craig's sister came to me and she said, Ronnie, I, I should have died when I was away from the Lord. We were friends. We went to school together. And, and she said, I'm so thankful to God he gave me another chance. That, that, you know, that was an act of worship right there in a funeral home. That was somebody saying to a group of people, I should have been dead. But thank God for his grace, I'm here. You can give God praise and you can worship him anywhere, any day, any time. You say... Give me 10 points on how to do it. Just thank him in the overflow for what he's done. Start there, and he'll lead you the rest of the way. You don't need a manual on it. You need the right heart. You need the right attitude. So it is intimacy. The best word that describes it is proskuneos. And it means to kiss toward or to kiss forward. That, you've heard that word taught pastor always teaches it about a dog licking your face and I always want to vomit when he does that even though it is the truth because my dogs smell horrible and the fact of Norman and Maggie kissing me in the same sentence as worshiping God just doesn't jive and dad hates dogs by the way he gave all my dogs away growing up because he didn't want to take care of them but I, I think of more of a sloppy wet kiss with your wife that you love but even better than that it, it's, a, it's an intimacy it means to kiss towards. You know, it's not just repetition or routine or ritual or singing the songs you like or the same old stuff that you grew up on. Now, I get the tingles. You play an old hymn, I get the tingles. I don't know that it's always the Holy Ghost. Some of it's tradition. I smell that old wood pew across the way and that old ugly orange carpet and I start, remember being scared I was going to hell every week in a traditional Baptist church and I get the tingles. But the tingles, sometimes those are just emotions. You've got to press in 
to an authentic intimacy with God. It doesn't even have to look like me. It doesn't have to look like Pastor Chris. I remember Pastor Chris first came here. He was, that's how he does it. I'm like Tim Hawkins. I'm a finger pointer. And after I heard Tim Hawkins, I started noticing. I'm, po- I'm finger pointing. I'm finger pointing. Teresa Biggs is a window washer. Everybody's got their own thing. It's okay. Be yourself. Be who God called you to be. But don't go cheer at a soccer game or a football game and get rowdy and come in here and act like it's out of order. You know, if you're calm at a football game, it's okay to be calm in here. But I'm telling you, don't let anything excite you more than the blood of Jesus. Because I'm here to tell you what happens on the outside, whether you're finger pointing or doing the Jewish bob like Chris or the window washing like Teresa, it's just a manifestation of what God's doing inside you. It's not something for you to be copied. It's your DNA. Ray Hughes teaches us that each individual, and even science backs this up, has a certain sound about them. There's a different sound that comes through your vocal cords, through your body, that everything that has breath should praise the Lord. But each one of us have our own unique sound. And and what I believe is that there are so many people that live their whole life and nobody ever gets to hear their sound. Nobody ever gets to hear their sound. Maybe it's because the enemy who who fell from that other dimension because of worship. He, He wanted the worship that was God's and he fell. And you've heard my message on the hijacker. He's hijacked the anointing. He's hijacked worship. That's why you can see 80,000 in, in, in the Super Bowl worshiping Katy Perry on a golden cow, calf, whatever it was. And then we don't see that in most of our churches. It's because it's been hijacked. It doesn't need to be hijacked. It doesn't have to be. But we've got to allow people to release their individual sound. But what we've tried to do as a church is constrict everybody into a few sounds. And if we don't like their sound, we send them to the world. The world likes their sound. We've got to find a way to bring that sound into the church and into the kingdom. I tell you, this young man I buried today, I, I, you know, I, I get wrapped up when I do these funerals and get to know the family and I, I really I take pride in what I do I want to do it to God's glory which is also an act of worship but I, I wanted to listen to his music before you know even though it's not my style of music it was funk rock and I wanted to listen to some of it and I'm going to tell you this boy was talented man I mean he was talented he went to the Atlanta Institute of Music the night before he passed he was playing with some of, playing with the lead guitarist for Widespread Panic I mean the band was going up this way I mean he had talent but I always wonder, man, what, what, what could the kingdom have done with that? Because if you hear this boy play, he was good. At, I mean, I'm not just saying he's good. I'm saying he was, he was good. He was all, and, 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 I, and I think, man, why can't we have that in the kingdom? Why, why can't we have more of that? And, and that's, what, that's what my heart is, man, is that we, let, we, we allow people to release their sound and, and be who God's called them to be. You know, everybody's sound is different. But together, symphonio, it can be beautiful. So quickly, what is our priority of worship? What is the priority of worship? Number one, and I'll be quick. It is the spiritual discipline. And as I've already said, this discipline doesn't mean 
you, you express yourself like other people or other denominations. You, you don't have to try to be like everybody else. You need to be yourself. We know that Abel in the Old Testament, the first children recorded in the Bible, we know that he was a true worshiper and it cost him his life because his worship was accepted and jealousy crept in his brother. He was a true worshiper. What a legacy to leave. Even if you're only here for a short time, wouldn't you want to be remembered by God as a true worshiper? Someone who truly knew how to enter in without carrying their pound of flesh with them. Listen to this. What about Enoch? How would you like to walk with God and walk right into the kingdom? He knew how to worship God. You know, what about Noah? We talked about worshiping God through our work and through our service. What do you think the ark was? It was an act of obedience. It took 120 years to build. And when it was done, don't you think Jehovah was going, wow. Don't you think that God sometimes looks down at a body of work, a business, a family, something, and he looks down and he goes, wow. And he smiles because of the honor and the incense that rises out of our service and our work. I believe that. I believe we've wanted to, to, to push worship into one thing, just sound and singing and music. And it is that, absolutely. But it's more than that. Amen. It's more than that. How about um, Moses? And I've preached to you on the tabernacle. I don't have time to get into all my notes tonight. But he set up the tabernacle, and there were requirements of worship. You could work in the tabernacle at age 25, but you could not lead people in worship until at the age of 30. Why is that important? Because you can worship, but to lead others in worship and to be that light, there needs to be a level of maturity. Now, I believe under the new covenant, there is no age limit. But I still believe there's a principle there, is that you better have attain some level of spiritual and biblical maturity before you try to lead others. Or you'll, you'll wreck yourself. That's why, you know, Pastor Chris, I wish that during the youth, my youth group days, I wish I had some spiritual wisdom in, you know, with some of the people I admired because the, 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 the big trick is, you know, if, if God touches you as a youth, you immediately want to pray or, or dance or preach or or do something like that. And there's a lot of times a wise youth pastor say, you're not ready. You might be gifted to do it today. But by not allowing you to do it, I'm protecting you from a bad fall. Because you still have some things you've got to work out. Reggie White, one of my favorite football players, admitted uh, during his time with the Packers that he started preaching at age 14, really in this city. And he admitted that he started preaching too early that he was not ready for what the devil had for him and that he should have been in the word more before he started preaching. It's the same thing with worship. If you're going to lead others, you need to have spent time in God's word and to reach a level of maturity. And that's why, you know, I'm ashamed of some of my years wandering in my late teens and early 20s, but in, in a sense, some of it is a blessing because I, I really felt the call early and I even surrendered at 17. But I would have done far too much damage during those five or six years, during college and at the end of my high school, trying to do that. I needed to go through a process. Everybody has a process that God has you in 
to get you to where he wants you to go to. Isaiah spoke of the angels worshiping with us. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, and each one had six wings. With two he covered with his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried out another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. Dr. Kennebrew says this. Worship is defined by the priority we place on who God is in our lives and where God is on our list of priorities. True worship is a matter of the heart expressed through a lifestyle of holiness. So if your lifestyle does not express the beauty of his holiness through an extravagant and exaggerated love, then you've you've fallen short and you've missed it. We worship God Because he is God. Period. We worship God because he is God. Psalms chapter 96 verse 5. For all the gods of the nation are idols. But the Lord made the heavens and the earth. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Our worship must be towards the one who is worthy. We worship him because of who he is. Not what he has done or can do. We can celebrate what God has done. And by faith we can trust him for what he can do. But that really is not why we worship him. We worship him because of who he is. We worship him because of who he is. Quickly, the person of worship. The person of worship. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of every Hebrew prophecy that came and came for the underdogs, the sinners, the least of these, the anti-establishment people. He came, those are the people he came for. All the Old Testament sacrifice, all the things in the temple and the tabernacle, all those things led to a baby in a manger, a king born in a manger that would die on a cross but that would one day come back for his church. Born in a manger, died on a cross, coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Our Comforter, our Abba Father, our Alpha and Omega, our Beginning and the End, our Comforter, our Deliverer, everything rolled into one, the Great I Am. Our Banner, our Covering, our Love, our Protector, our Provider, He's all of those things. He is worthy to be praised. He is the person of worship. He is the God of creation. He's the God that cleanses us. He's a charitable God. He's a compassionate God. He's committed to me. And he's committed to you. I love it that he's a God of correction and chastening. He's a God that loves you so much he corrects you. He knocks you off your horse. And he's a God of clarity. He's a God that gives you supernatural discernment into the things of the spirit. That's the person of worship. That's who he is. He's Jesus Christ, son of the most high God. Now, what is the promise of worship number three? The promise is that when we kiss forward or we kiss towards God intimately with a loving heart in submission through our seed, through our sacrifice, and through our service, God will come down and commune with us. God will hang with you. He will commune with you. The promise is not that we'll feel great or that our heaviness, our heavy load will be lifted necessarily, but that he will come. And when God comes, 
in his own time as a response to our worship. Psalm 96.13 says this. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Now the purpose of worship. And I'll close with this. What is the purpose of worship? You've already heard the first one. It's communion. It's communion with God. Intimacy with God. Next, it is consecration. Consecration is the act of setting one apart for a greater call, greater duty. So it's communion, yes. It's so that you can hang with God, but he doesn't want you to stay there. That's why you can have these extremely intimate and passionate prayer times with God. But if you just want that all the time and you never do anything, it ends eventually. And if you're wondering why your prayer life is stagnant, it's because when you got filled with the Holy Ghost and God was having all these times with you, he was calling you to do something and you, you, you've rebelled against him and said, I'm not doing it. I just want to hang out and pray all day and get the tingles. And the Lord has stopped giving you fresh revelation because you, you've said, listen, I, I just want to feel this way all the time. That's great. That's in heaven. You'll feel that way all the time. But here you got something you got to do. And he communes with you so that he can call you. And consecrate you. Cleanse you so that you can go do what he's called you to do. He's a God of communion. He's a God of consecration. He's a God of compassion. He will reveal himself to you. The truth about who he is. And also, it'll reveal the truth about you. And what your motives are. I want to read this one more time. I beseech you, therefore, my brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, which is also worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't underestimate your service to God. Don't underestimate the time you've put in. God's pleased with you. You may not be able to dance like everybody else. You may not know how to tie a toilet around your neck. But I'm going to tell you this. If you're serving him and you're serving the least of these on a daily basis, God sees it. And he honors it. He blesses it. In spite of opposition, I'm living proof of it. If he'll do it for me, he'll do it for you. So keep serving, Abba's house. Keep serving people. Keep loving people. Keep doing that which he has called you to do. And have the faith inside of you to trust him. He will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And when the writing is finished and your work is done, you'll receive an inheritance and a crown. God will keep his word to you. So however you choose to worship as we close, I just pray that your testimony is that of King David's. Psalm 96, verse 8, that you will give to the Lord the glory he deserves, the glory due his name. That you'll bring an offering and come into his courts. My translation says, give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Lamentations Chapter 3, verse 17. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten 
prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. This is being honest with God. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. Then I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Though the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him and to the soul who seeks him. Friend, his love does endure forever and his compassions fail not. But you understand that that's the result of your worship. You want his love to endure forever? You want his compassions to fail not? It is the result of your worship. So as you press in, that compassion comes, the faithfulness of God comes that will carry you from mountain to mountain. So why don't we stand on our feet tonight? You can't worship him until you know him. So before we close tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You've heard about him tonight. He came for the sinners. He died on a cross. He got up out of the grave on the third day so that we could have peace and we could have hope and so that we could live in eternity with him, have purpose on this earth. If He is speaking to you through the power of his Holy Spirit right now. And you say, Pastor Ronnie, I'm a sinner. The Bible says we all are. But that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, we can be saved. So just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. That's right, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Lord, please come into my heart and save me. Come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. That's right. Fill me up with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. Use me for your glory.